Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. This afternoon's Mr. President story will begin in just a moment. But meantime, how extensive is your knowledge of our country's past presidents? For example, can you name the president who once sold all the White House furniture? Or the president who had a habit of bathing in the canal back of the White House? There are so many colorful anecdotes about our former chief executives that it's not surprising we find the lives of American presidents so fascinating. Perhaps it's because most of us can identify ourselves with their way of life. Their private ambitions, their relationships with their wives, children, and friends are so much like our own that we often feel their stories are our stories, too. Each week, Mr. President reveals our famous leaders as they really were, human beings whose desires and ambitions were much the same as yours and mine. Now listen to this story and see if you can name the president whom it is about. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, most of this week I've been thinking of a way to describe my story. It's quite a combination, politics, internal affairs, and even a touch of American progress south and west. And then I remembered an old American saying. It's that Missouri proverb, there's more ways than one to skin a mule. That just about sums up this story. Later on, I'll tell you who the president was, of course, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. It was a spring morning of a year that promised plenty of trouble before the snow came. I was in my office working on a message I knew Congress wouldn't like. It was a veto message. And then Miss Sarah bustled in. You know how women get when they're riffed about something. Well, that was Miss Sarah all over. Some more papers, Mr. President. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Sarah. You're welcome, I'm sure. Is there something on your mind, Miss Sarah? 
Frankly, Mr. President, I wish you'd let me send away about half your callers. That is, if you're not going to see them, sir. I, I never saw an office so cluttered up as mine, and the way you keep them waiting. Well, I take it that our Mr. Roberts of the Philadelphia Customs House is out there again. Hmm? Yes, sir. Yes, I can imagine demanding entrance, fuming that I've kept him waiting long enough, announcing that he won't cool his heels much longer, even in the President's waiting room. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, sir, exactly. <laughs> well, they're all pretty much alike, aren't they, Miss Sarah? Fawning and smiling when you're the President-elect. Exactly the opposite once they feel secure in their positions. Mm -hmm. All right, Miss Sarah, send them in. Thank you, sir. Mr. Roberts, the President will see you now. Thank you, ma'am. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. Roberts. Well, sir? I was given to understand, sir, that in any conversation, the President chooses the subject. Even when we both know why you're here? Apparently, you know, Mr. President, and have entirely prejudged the question. As is indicated by the length of time you've kept me waiting to see you. I realize, Roberts, that in Philadelphia, the collector of customs is an important person. In the White House, you are one of a number of similar office holders, and other matters may take priority. Such as the situation in the South, sir, if I may say so. You may not say so. I don't make it a practice of discussing matters of national policy with customs officers. It might be to your advantage, sir, to discuss a number of things with me. I've acquired some influence now in Now, state matters. your business properly, please. Very well. I am here, as you very well know, to ask you to withdraw your order for the removal of a large number of the employees in my customs house. These people are guilty of nothing save certain political activities. On government property and government time. Also, they happen to be incompetents who swept in from the streets of Philadelphia to give you more influence. Now, my order stands. This blanket firing is going to look very bad in the papers. Are you threatening me, Mr. Roberts? If you care to take it that way... Well, now, Roberts, I think you've done it. I'm afraid I don't quite follow, Mr. President. I've been very patient with you. I happen to dislike your tone, and I resent your threats. You have permitted a little power to go to your head. And I think your usefulness to the government of the United States is at an end. Are you saying that I'm to To resign? put it in terms that are perhaps more familiar to you, Roberts, you're through, you're finished. <laughs> Now you've done it, Dad. Now you've really done it. Have I, son? Dad, you may be president, but your political acumen is certainly not of the best. Look at this newspaper. Mm, it's a lot of newspaper. Where shall I look? Now here, the editorial. Now listen. In the summary removal of Jonathan Roberts from office, the president has overstepped himself. Patronage is an accepted matter in our federal government, but when it reaches into the customs A house... Philadelphia paper? Yes, sir. I thought so. Which party? Our own, sir. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I don't understand it, Dad. What do they want? My scalp's out of my job. Our old friend Senator Carter and the uh, gentleman from Kentucky is particularly interested. <laughs> well, well, you'll defend yourself, of course, Dad. Defend? Oh, I don't think so. You see, in politics as in war, the best defense is an attack, and at the proper time. Then you have made plans. No, not quite. The first move is Senator Carter's. These newspaper attacks are merely opening skirmishes. I understand that Senator Carter is about to withdraw from the Senate to campaign publicly for the nomination that rightfully is mine, in my own party. Once he does that, well, we shall see, son. We shall see. My friends, in announcing my retirement from the Senate... And without meaning at this time to say whether on any or on whom, 
reproaches for the sad condition of the country should fall, I appeal to the Senate and to the world to bear testimony to the truth that no blame can justly attach to me. And now, Mr. President of the Senate and Senators, I bid you all a long, a lasting, and a friendly farewell. The colossal nerve of a man, without meaning at this time to say whether on any or on whom reproaches More should coffee, fall. More coffee, son? No, thanks. Look here, Dad. How long are Coffee, you... Coffee, Miss Arne? No, no, thank you, sir. John, I think you should look in on your mother. She's feeling badly again. Yes, Dad. But I still think the time has come... What to... kind of a presidential household is this anyway tonight? My wife is ill, my son badgering me into action, my secretary silent as a grave. <clears throat> well, almost that silent. Mr. President, I... It upsets me to see you the target of so many unjust attacks. Thank you for the unjust, Miss Anna. I see by the papers, John, that I am now guilty of nepotism. What? Your job in the land office. Blair of the Globe was very vehement about it. But, but every president before you was appointed a son or, or a nephew or some relative to that job. I know, undoubtedly. I shall hear more of this. From Senator Carter, no doubt. No doubt. Mr. President, aren't you going to reply? A public speech, a statement to the papers? The president cannot or at least should not engage in acrimonious debate with a senator or a private citizen, no matter how prominent. But it's not fair, sir. You're attacked. But you can't answer. Unfortunate, but true. Aren't you going to do anything, sir? You're not fooling us, Dad. We know what all this is doing to you inside. I intend to have myself nominated for the president. But Senator Carter... On a third-party ticket. What? Dad. You'll be committing political suicide. Will I? Well, look at the situation, son. Senator Carter is sure of the nomination in the party of which I happen to be a member. Mark Vandervetter controls our opposition. I can't hope to be nominated there. I'm political dead as of this moment. And dead men don't commit suicide. But, but Mr. President, no third-party candidate has ever been elected. I know that, Miss Sarah. Well, then why, sir? Why are you planning this? Yes, sir. Why? Well, uh, let me say it as simply as possible. First, there is little choice between Carter and Vandeventer. Agreed? Yes, sir. Therefore, if my name is on the ballot, the people would at least have some choice in candidates and policies. Your policies are so right, sir. I hate to see them turned inside out. I believe they are right, Miss Sarah. Above all, I think I'm sure my ideas on the situation in the South are the only solution to that problem. The growth of this country is inevitable and must be encouraged in every way possible. And the only way I can think of to make sure my policies are acted upon is a third party. But if you won't be elected in any case, Mr. President, how can you make sure your policies are continued? That, Miss Sarah and John, is where politics as they are played in the United States enters the picture. And by way of political experiment, I'm going to see just how far a third party will go in this country. <laughs> Randolph and Mr. Mayhew, sir. Well, gentlemen, it is good to see you. You're looking well, Mr. President. Never better, sir. Well, physically, I feel fine. Emotionally, well, you two know me well enough to understand. Mr. President, when we get through in Baltimore, you'll feel perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We've had promises of hundreds of delegates, sir, from all over the country. They'll represent thousands who couldn't come. Well, I want to be sure of one thing, Randolph, that every state and every county is represented at the Baltimore Convention. It's the only way to make people believe 
We mean business with this new body. Uh, we won't convene until every section of the nation is there. Yes, come in. Mr. President, there's an unscheduled visitor. Senator Carter is outside. Carter? Oh, a farewell call, no doubt. I think so, sir. Well, I'll see him right away. Mayor Randolph, keep in touch with me from Baltimore, and good luck. And bless you both for a pair of loyal friends. Thank you, sir. We're with you all the way, Mr. President. Thank you, and use the other door, please. We don't want my caller to confirm the suspicions which uh, brought him here. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Well, now, Miss Sarah, shall we permit our senatorial Daniel to beard the lion in his den? If you say so, Mr. President. Senator Carter, will you come in, please? Thank you, ma'am. Mr. President. Senator? Shall we come directly to the point, Mr. President? Why not, Senator? Very well. I have called to see you for the sole purpose of protesting the confusion you've caused and are causing on the political scene. This third-party convention in Baltimore... The people, sir, no longer know what to believe or think. Isn't that exactly the condition you want the people to be in, Senator? Mr. President, if you persist, we'll see to it that you're finished politically when your term in office is over. I am all too aware, Senator, that the party of which we are both currently members has no intention of nominating me for re-election. But that, Senator, is of little consequence in comparison to the southern matter and its importance to the safety and welfare of this nation. (sighs) This may seem strange talk to you, Senator... But I happen to be a man who loves his country and is loyal to his friends. It is quite clear to me that in this case, country transcends politics and political power as well as self-interest, even to the extent of losing the presidency. In all my years in politics, I've never heard such nonsense, except on the Speaker's platform. Frankly, Mr. President, you're a new type of man to me. Senator, any time hereafter that you are puzzled by my actions, think back to this statement. It is the guiding philosophy of my life country before politics, the nation and the people before personal glory. And, Senator, this may cost me the presidency, but may I point out to you, sir, that you have not been elected as yet. I believe it is unwise to plan the occupation of a new residence before you have signed the lease, even occupation of the White House, Senator. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you invested in the security loan drive now underway throughout the country? Security bond sales are of vital importance in the Treasury's management of the public debt, the nation's current battle against price inflation, and for the future welfare of the man in the street, the worker with good income, and the farmer whose profits are now at unprecedented levels. That is why it is so important for each and every one of us to buy as many security bonds as we can afford during this security loan drive. Security bonds are savings bonds, the same bond that pays $4 for every three invested at the end of the bond's maturity. The money you invest in bonds today will bring you retirement incomes, new homes and funds for vacations, and leisure time tomorrow. Remember, too, America's security is your security. So save U.S. security bonds the easy, automatic way where you work or where you bank. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. (laughs) 
Perhaps you've already guessed who the president was in this story, but strange as it may seem in the light of present-day happening, several presidents have been faced with a third-party problem. Later on, I'll tell you which one this was. My friends gathered at Baltimore. Frankly, I was sorry I had to miss the incident, but the tactics that I outlined to Randolph and Mayhew were carried through to their logical conclusion when Randolph rose before a cheering crowd at convention hall and he said... convention come to order so the next speaker can be recognized. My friends, my good friends, may I have your attention for just a few moments. I have been given the privilege of a great honor. I will not bore you with details. You know the issues. You know that the future of our nation is at stake in our deliberations here in this convention hall. Therefore, I accept the honor, and I take the privilege, in the name of this new and vital political party, of placing in nomination the name of the man we all honor and respect, the name of the man who is our friend, the name of the man who is now and must remain for the next four years, the President of the United States. Yes, come in. Mr. President, you you have a visitor, sir. No. The chairman of the National Committee of the Opposition Party. No. Well, well, well. <laughs> By the way, Miss Sarah, which opposition? We have two opposing parties, you know. Indeed, I do know. Two parties and a hundred newspapers all against you. Which opposition, Miss Sarah? It's R.J. Walker, sir. Mark Vandervender's party, huh? Well, now, now, now. I think we'll see him. Yes, sir. I don't know. This sort of thing never happened before. <laughs> Mr. Walker, you may come in now. Thank you, ma'am. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Welcome to the White House, Walker. It's been a long time. It has, that's it. I don't believe we've spoken since you withdrew from our party to become a candidate for vice president. And look at me now. Can you say honestly that your party would have made me chief executive? <laughs> well, after the beating we took when you were elected, honestly, no. <laughs> well, Walker, may I be blunt, sir? My cards are on the table. Where are yours? Sir, it's Senator Carter you're electing with this third party of yours. Am I, Walker? Mr. President, what are the chances of you withdrawing from the race? Oh, so it's come to that, has it? Frankly, yes. Is there anything that might change your thinking, sir? There are certain conditions which might affect my thinking, Walker. Such as? First and foremost, no nomination for Mark Vandervender. Well, Mr. President, he's the most prominent member of our party. Would you like to think this out, Walker? Well, I... I, uh... Well, can you give me any word to take back to the party, sir? Oh, you know better than that. It's your move completely. You make this very difficult, Mr. President. Well, you can't win without me, Walker, and you know it. You play a hard game, sir. When I believe the future of our country is at stake, I always play a hard game, and I play to win. Dad, Dad, how much longer are you going to keep this up? Keep what up, son? This third party idea. Everybody's going crazy. It might be a good idea. They're putting pressure on you, are they, son? Everybody seems to think because I'm your son, I know what you really intend to do. And of course you don't. Honest, Dad, sometimes I think the closer people are to you, 
the less they know about what's going on in your mind. Miss Sarah, have you seen this letter? It's from the ex-president asking Blair of the Globe to stop attacking father. Listen. Hail the president and his supporters. Welcome to the support of the great democratic cause to aid in the defeat of Carter and his party. Where did you get that? Delivered by messenger with a note, show this to your father. Heaven's sake, what next, I wonder? Mayhew, you and your confounded third party are disrupting everything the president has ever stood for. Are we, Walker? You're electing Carter, and you know what that means. I happen to believe that the president can be re-elected on our ticket. There have been popular revolutions by ballot before, you know. Nonsense. Both you and the president know it. Well, what do you want me to do? Persuade him to withdraw. We've called off the press. We've intimated that Van Deventer's nomination is blocked. What oh. more does he want? Frankly, I don't know. But I'll ask the president the next time I get in to see him. <laughs> What can I do, Mr. Randolph? Uh, have patience, Mr. Walker. What is he, a sphinx? <laughs> some people think that fox is the better word. You must have some idea of his intentions. Well, the president intends to run on our third-party ticket. But he can't do that. He'll ruin everything. He'll elect Carter. Patience, Mr. Walker. What would you like me to do? Get me in to see him. I've tried Mayhew, and he makes jokes. I've talked to his son. He shrugs his shoulders and looks mysterious. Uh, how about Miss Sarah? Oh, that woman. The president is very busy, Mr. Walker. I've got to see him, Randolph. Do something about it, will you? Walker's been in to see me again, Donald. <laughs> Three times in two days. Me too. How did you tell him? That the president's intentions are as much a mystery to us as they are to him. He doesn't believe that, but it happens to be true. Well, I think we'll know tomorrow. At last? At last. Miss Sarah sent word the president wants to see us. And right after us, friend Walker has an appointment. Good. <laughs> oh, but I'd hate to be in Walker's shoes tomorrow. Walker, I'm sorry I couldn't get to see you before this. So am I, sir. I've well, given <laughs> quite, a, quite some thought to your suggestions, Walker. Thank you, sir. My son showed me the ex-president's letter to Blair. I'm assuming John received it through you? He may have. And thank you for calling off the newspapers. Fair is fair, Mr. President. In politics, too? Well, yes, uh, how about the guarantees I asked for? You have them, sir. Mark Vendeventer will not be nominated, and your friends will be welcomed back into our party. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's very good. I wonder now, are you prepared to go a step or two, Father? Well, uh, how much, Father? Well, you know how strongly I feel about that southern situation. The United States must not be confined to its present boundaries. Now, if you were to permit me to write that particular plank in our platform, and then perhaps to select the man who will implement that plank... Mr. President, when you said you play the game the hard way, you made a clear understatement. A politics in a democracy, Walker. Well, it's your turn to make a decision. <laughs> well, I haven't very much choice, have I? Well, frankly, I hate to be in your spot right now. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. All right, you shall have your plank. And your candidate is... James Powers. You know how completely Jimmy agrees with my position on most matters? Agreed. And you will announce your withdrawal? Frankly, I'll, I'll have to talk that over with my friends first. Uh, they've been to considerable expenditures of time and money, you see. Yes, of course, I can see that. And uh, now if I could take them further assurances, say that their positions in the government are secure, and if Jimmy is elected, they will receive equal treatment with your present party members, hmm? Well, if I can take those promises to my friends, I think my final decision might be swayed. Yes, I just think it might. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good, good morning, good morning. I see my friends, my son and Miss Sarah, my most ardent supporters and my two severest critics. Mr. Uh, will you mind, Dad? Uh, wait, easy now, easy now not all of you at once, if you please. <laughs> yes, sir. But I do want you to listen. I've written this letter, which I propose with your approval to release to the newspapers at once. And since our Mr. Walker has seen fit to agree to all my terms, here it is. To my friends throughout the Union, when the hand of the Lord touched my illustrious predecessor and I found myself suddenly the chief executive of a great nation, I tried to approach my responsibilities with humility and all the earnestness and sense of duty of which I was capable. Historians will record the facts. Let them decide between myself and my enemies. As for my friends, let it be recorded here and now that I deeply and honestly appreciate their high motives and their great self-sacrifice in nominating me. I know that their only expectation in creating a third party was the vindication of my character and the support of my administration. However, my objectives for the nation now seem secure. With that accomplished, I feel my only course is to withdraw as a candidate for the high office which I now hold and to offer my support to the candidacy of my good friend, James Powers. President. Dad, Dad, it's all wrapped up. I take it you have news of the election. Have we news on the election? <laughs> tell him, Miss Sarah, tell him. The latest results have just come returns, in. Returns, Miss Sarah, returns. Elections never have results, only returns. The results come after the winners have been at work for a while. <laughs> yes, sir. The returns are in, sir. From Pennsylvania. No. Well, well. Pennsylvania has gone for Mr. Power, sir, and Senator Carter has conceded the election. Congratulations, Dad. Oh, yes, and there's a message from Mr. Walker. He says Mr. Powers would have lost the state, but for your support. Mm-hmm. So now it's over. And you've won, Dad. The Southern matter will be handled your way. Your friends are protected. This must be a source of great satisfaction to you, Mr. President. More than you both realize, perhaps. And now, John, I think it's time to go upstairs and visit with your mother, hmm? She'll want to know the good news, too. Miss Sarah, will you take over, please? Yes, sir. Right with you, Dad. You know, Miss Sarah, there's one thing about this president business. It's all right to keep the president's callers waiting, but never the president's wife. <laughs> Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It did really happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. What does this word mean to you? Adventure. Does it make you think of excitement, of daring, of the unsuspected? If so, then here's the radio show for you. I Love Adventure. Every Sunday over most of these ABC stations, I Love Adventure brings you 30 fast-moving minutes. The action gets underway when Detective Jack Packard gets an assignment from the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Place, London. These 21 men come from different countries, but they have one purpose in common, to help keep the world a decent place to live in. And to accomplish this, they hire Packard and two of his friends to go out on different missions every week, missions that entangle them with adventure. So don't miss today's I Love Adventure program when it's heard over most ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold.
Well, I wonder now. Have you guessed the who the president was in today's story? With his third party and his political intrigues? Let me tell you. The president was John Tyler, who became chief executive when Benjamin Harrison died in office one month after his inauguration in 1841. Mark Vandeventer and James Powers were Martin Van Buren and James Polk. And Senator Carter was that great orator from Kentucky, Henry Clay. That southern matter was the annexation of the state of Texas, later achieved by James Polk, John Tyler's protege. So you see, President Tyler did demonstrate that there is more than one way to skin a mule. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Homecoming, starring Clark Gable and Lana Turner. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the administration of President John Tyler. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlum. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.